Biden tries to look forward as Trump continues his fantasy. And we remember the first Georgia runoff on The Political Junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike for president. Add Ike to you, add Link to me, I don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, and we'll come out on top. Vote for Richard Nixon and Henry Cabot Lodge, cause they're the ones to lead the USA. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to episode 353 of The Political Junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. I think we've all come to the point where nothing Donald Trump does will surprise us. Pardon Michael Flynn? Who didn't see that coming? Conspire with Israel to assassinate Iran's top nuclear scientist? Anything to sabotage the future of Joe Biden's relationship with Tehran? But his efforts to invalidate the election results that showed him losing? While that, too, was predictable, the extent by which he is continuing this delusion is nothing short of dangerous to the institution of democracy. It would be comical if it weren't so frightening at the same time. Apparently, it's more important to stay in office, even if it means discarding the wishes of millions and millions of voters. Trump, if nothing else, is relentless, and his sycophants in the right-wing media are all too willing to give him a megaphone like this so-called interview on Fox News with so-called journalist Maria Bartiromo. This is a terrible thing that's happened. The mail-in ballots were, are a disaster. They sent millions and millions and millions of mail-in ballots. I'm sure you know people that got two, three, or four, because I do, where they said, you know, we got four ballots. They got one at a country home. Dead people were seeing ballots. But even worse... Dead people were applying to get a ballot. This is the greatest fraud in the history of our country from an electoral standpoint. And I guess you could build it up bigger than an electrical. What's, what's bigger from an a electoral standpoint? What's bigger than this? This is the essence of our country. This is the whole ballgame. And they cheated. Joe Biden did not get 80 million votes. This election was rigged. This election is a total fraud. Mr. President, these are obviously very serious charges, and I want to walk through them and ask you how you will prove this in the courts, because as you know, what I've been saying on the air is that elections are the reason that our young men and women go on battlefields across the world and in some cases lose their lives because they believe that their vote, my vote, matters just as much as your vote. And if that is not true, this is a very serious turning point for America. We won the election easily. There's no way Joe Biden got 80 million votes. This election was a fraud. It was a rigged election. This is disgusting. And we cannot allow America's election to be corrupted. We cannot. But in state after state, judges, even those appointed by Trump, have thrown out the challenges, saying there is no merit to his argument. Even William Barr, the attorney general never known for displeasing the president, said on Tuesday the Justice Department and the FBI have not found any evidence of widespread voter fraud that would change the outcome of the election. Now, before Trump decides to key his car or toilet paper his house, You should know that the AG has also, on the same day, 
named U.S. Attorney John Durham as a special counsel to investigate the role of the FBI in the Trump-Russia probe. That should make the president a bit happier. Trump has been attacking the FBI and its leadership for years, ever since the days of the Mueller report. It's clear that the assault on the 2020 vote, while continuing, is getting no traction. Rudy Giuliani's hair-dye assertion of stolen votes and Sidney Powell's insane conspiracy theories have already become a national embarrassment. Powell, in fact, was let go by the campaign, even as she continues her crusade. As for all the money that's being raised in the name of his election defense fund, which is said in quotes, it's really to pay for the Trump 2024 campaign, which probably begins on January 20th. Maybe one day Republicans in Congress will come to their senses and see through this straw man. But if he continues to talk about fake votes and stolen votes and illegal votes, if he continues his argument that votes aren't counted so why bother voting, one wonders if that might lead some Republicans to skip the January 5th Senate runoffs in Georgia. That would be the biggest irony of all. Person man, person man, hit on the head with a frying pan, lives his life in a garbage can. Person man, is he depressed or is he a mess? Does he feel totally worthless? Who came up with person man, degraded man, person man? The senator from Georgia led his opponent on election day by 35,000 votes. But because he failed to get a majority, he received a tantalizingly close 49.2% of the vote, he was forced into a runoff. The year was 1992. The senator was Dwight Fowler, a Democrat seeking a second term, and the runoff came two days before Thanksgiving. There had been a big Democratic turnout on Election Day when Bill Clinton carried the state, thanks in part to a strong showing from the black community. But how do you sustain the momentum for a runoff that comes three weeks later? That was the Democratic dilemma in November of 92. They sent in the president-elect as well as the vice president-elect, Al Gore. Jimmy and Rosalind Carter appeared on Fowler's behalf as well. So did actress Kim Basinger. Republicans sent in Barbara Bush, Bob Dole, and Charlton Heston to make sure thou shalt not let Fowler win. He didn't. The Republican, Paul Coverdell, eked out a 16,000-vote victory in the runoff. The eyes of the political world are once again focused on Georgia, as not one but both senators are facing runoffs. The parallels to 1992 are not exact. The two Georgia senators this time are Republicans. This time, control of the Senate is at stake. But back in 92, Democrats had an overwhelming 58-42 to 42 advantage. But then, like now, it was the only game in town. And the stakes were huge. I will tell you, when I learned that this year's Georgia Senate races were headed to runoffs, the first person I thought of was White Fowler. And he's here to talk about the events of 28 years ago. Senator Fowler, I, I hate to bring up bad memories, but it's great having you on The Political Junkie. Well, thank you, Ken. They're not bad memories. I had a good run. And uh, uh, history sort of uh, dealt, me the, dealt me the hand. But 
I'm happy to talk to you about it. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, and as I, I'm sure you're not, I'm not the only person who thought of you when I saw that both uh, Senators uh, Purdue and Leffler were headed to a runoff. I said, wow, that happened to White Fowler in 92. That was only 28 years ago. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it was yesterday. Sometimes it does. Anyway, bring us back to Election Day in 1992. Uh, Bill Clinton carried Georgia. It was the last time a Democratic presidential candidate managed that until Joe Biden this year. And you came within a hair of winning a second term outright. You know, you had to prepare for a runoff, and conventional wisdom said that turnout would be down and Republicans, Republican intensity would be greater. So what was it like? What was the mood among Democrats? I guess, and to give you some uh, substance, which I know you're looking for, the um, one thing that was to our uh, disadvantage, as you noted, was that the runoff was going to be only three weeks after the election, uh, the first, uh, the, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So we knew we had to <laughs> had not much time and had to use all of our get-out-the-vote efforts to try to, find, try, to, try to get people to come back. And we didn't do a very good job of it. There was a huge drop-off, huge drop-off in the voting participation among, among Democrats and Republicans, but the Republicans did a much better job, and they, and they won. The, I know you're going to ask me to compare it to the current, situation. One good thing about this runoff for, for Democrats this time is that they have this almost three months to utilize their resources, uh, plan all their get-out-the-vote efforts. In other words, time to, to marshal your resources for a second election. And, and uh, actually, in this case, be a third election. For uh, We didn't have that. The other thing that is to the advantage of Democrats this time is that I can't get this precisely right. I didn't, I, I didn't pull up the figures. But the electorate uh, 28 years ago <clears throat> was approximately 80% uh, white and 20% uh, black and minorities. Today, it's about 60% white and 40% minority. So that is a huge uh, demographic difference 28 years ago in Georgia. So there's uh, no question about it. The growth of Atlanta, the growth of all of our cities, uh, and increased minority participation, thanks to an awful lot of uh, effort on behalf of many organizations, the latest of which is uh, is uh, Stacey Abrams' organization. Back in 1992, in that first election, uh, I I wish I didn't re- need to remind you this, but but you had outspent Coverdell by like a two-to-one margin. You had a, a 16-point lead with 10 days to go, and yet on election night, the race was dead even. What do you think happened? Well, <clears throat> uh <laughs> I, I guess they, they just did a, a better job of campaigning and getting out their votes. I mean, I was, they, I had been targeted 
all along because I I was not supposed to win. I was known as uh, the liberal uh, Atlanta congressman. I represented a majority of black votes, uh, black voters for the uh, 10 years that I was in the uh, House of Representatives. You had the seat that John Lewis later had. As a matter of fact, you beat him in the special election. I did. I'm, I'm glad nobody put that in his obituaries. But uh, <laughs> No, John, I, actually, I'll give you some news that I'm very proud of, that uh, we, we became friends during that race. I did win in, uh, in a special election in 1977. For the Andrew Young seat. That was Andrew Young's seat before he was appointed to the United Nations as ambassador by President Carter. So we were in a runoff together, John and I. And and I won. And then I went on, went on to win five terms in the House of Representatives. But then uh, I just decided that I was going to run for the Senate. 1986. And 1986. But a year before then, I, got, I called my staff together and I said, look, I want you to take a poll. But... I want I want you also to know because you've got to plan for your future that I'm going to give up this House seat. I'm definitely going to run for the Senate, no matter what the poll showed. So the poll came back about uh, three months later and said a White Fowler uh, victory in a United States Senate race is a possibility, but certainly not a probability. <laughs> But I ran anyway, and so, but about, oh, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, I got to thinking about it, and I called up John Lewis, and I said, John, you can't tell anybody, because I'm going to sneak up. i got to sneak up on Mattingly. I can't get out front. Uh, they'll put all their forces against me. But I am leaving the seat, and I won't, I'd like to see you in that seat. So you got a year to plan and advance and see if you can sneak up because uh, Julian Bond had been talking about running. And he was a state senator, and he had national, a national reputation. So John, I kept my word. John kept his word. He didn't tell anybody. And then he won and held the seat for, what, 28 years or something like that. I do remember that that, uh, John Lewis, uh, Julian Bond race was very, very nasty and very competitive. Oh, very, very, very much so. But uh, anyway, we won the same. On the same night, John and I celebrated. I won the Senate, and he, he beat Julian to win the Atlanta House seat. When they always talk about how turnout is the key, but how do you get your supporters to come out three weeks after everyone thought the elections were over? Well, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily difficult. I mean, they don't—Georgia was the only—and still is, as far as I know, the only state in the country that has a runoff after a general election. I mean, for instance, you you quoted my figures, 99 uh, uh, 49.4, something like that. But I ran six points ahead of Bill Clinton, who won Georgia. He got about 43 or 4%. But he didn't need a runoff. But he didn't need a runoff, no. Because different different rules for that. So um, 
it is it, it's just extremely uh, difficult. Now, what a lot of people have missed is that the reason for the runoff, of course, was there was a libertarian in the race, and he got three two point six percent or something like that, which denied me the fifty percent plus one that I had to have. And though it has never been proven, uh, there is strong suspicion amongst Democrats and independent observers that the libertarians in the South are funded, financed by the Republicans. And that's why they have become the masters of the runoff, because they get the they, they deny the Democrat the 50% plus one, and then their machine is fantastic at identifying their voters and getting them back to the polls. Is it fair to say that the history of the runoff was basically uh, 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 you know, a, a relic of Jim Crow and, and uh, designed to keep African Americans from winning a one-on-one -on -one election? No, this is a late phenomenon. No, that, that, that didn't come from Jim Crow. Okay. But, but would you say that the runoffs were part of a, uh, an effort to make sure that even if black candidates finished first in a multi-candidate field, they would be defeated if it were one-on-one? -on -one? Yes. I mean, it, is a, it wasn't planned that way, but it, it has resulted. The, the plan was just to get denied the Democrats. As you said, we had a huge Democratic majority in the Senate at that time. But to deny the Democrat the, the, a victory, the first go-around, get it into a runoff where the Republican turnout mechanisms uh, had been honed, the result is, yes, I think is what you were implying. The result is, though it wasn't initially planned that way, I don't think, uh, it results in voter suppression in the in the runoff. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned you were talking about Bill Clinton, and I remember that with I think it was like one day to go before the initial primary. Uh, oh no, no, I think it was one day to go in the runoff. Bill Clinton came into Macon to campaign for you. I campaign on a platform to take on the insurance companies and the other special interests to do whatever it takes to control health care costs and provide basic health care to our people. And I know Watch Fowler will vote for that. That's why you ought to be for him. Well, Senator, it, it seems like Bill Clinton seemed to know how hard it would be to get those two who voted for you to return to the polls three weeks later. Oh, I'm sure he, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know whether he knew it or not, but it was probably a very, very big suspicion in his mind. No, he didn't have to. I mean, I, it was a great compliment to me that he would that he would come because I didn't I didn't I didn't know him very well. We were no not intimates or anything like that. It was the biggest show in town. I mean, that was the race that the whole political world was watching. Well, this is because, as we said, it's the only in the in all fifty states. It's the only state that has ever had a runoff after a general election. Sure, you have them in primaries, but the one with the most votes should win in the general. Watching what's going on in Georgia now, you, with two runoffs scheduled for January fifth, does it 
Does it bring back memories for you? Does it, does it put you back in 1992 and, and here we go again kind of mood? Uh, actually, it doesn't. <laughs> I don't, as I said, I, well, maybe we were before we were on the air. I, I've, uh, I've tried to be a good citizen, but I have not actively participated in, uh, in, anybody, in anybody else's campaign. Although I am in this, I'm all in for our two Democrats, doing everything I can to, to help them, because it's so important, and uh, not only to have a Democratic Senate, if that would be possible, but also these are two very good uh, Democratic candidates. John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. That's right. I'm very impressed by, by both of them for different reasons, but I'm very impressed. And the Republicans, uh, two incumbents, have not d- distinguished themselves in order to be polite, voting against uh, health care, uh, trying to overturn Obamacare uh, in the midst of a pandemic. And then, as your listeners undoubtedly know, they both have been ethically challenged by insider possible possible in insider trading and trading on classified information to make money during a pandemic. So I think as a citizen, whether I was a Democrat or a Republican or an independent, uh, once you look at the issues that are being debated and look at the records of the candidates, uh, our two guys, the Democrats, are in a strong position. Will it be Will the betting money be on the Republicans? Yes. Why? Because of their record in runoffs. And secondly, because of their incumbency and the advantages of incumbency. Is there any advice you'd give or you have given to Ossoff and Warnock? Is there one, one piece of advice that you would suggest to them? No, no. I can't think of a—I mean, I've given them some advice. But I think I, th- I think it's nothing big and strategic, and I think I think that ought to be, remain between the two two of us or three of us. But like I said, these are good good candidates. They're both extremely smart. They're both extremely articulate. And in this time of uh, Trump and company, you know, they're calm. When they speak, they know what they talking about, and they, they, they speak with authority. So I, I think they're going to draw voters from across party lines. And actually, Biden already did it. I mean, you know, we're the only southern states that, that, that turned blue this time, even though it was by a wafer-thin uh, margin. Well, I just wanted to say, you said it, and I didn't react to it uh, initially. I'm sorry. I was the I'm I'm the last statewide uh, Democratic office holder. We haven't had a Democrat elected statewide since since I came along. Well, there was Rory Barnes, right? There was a uh, Zell Miller. I'm talking about the federal level. I'm sorry. Well, Zell Miller did win that uh, Coverdale special election. If you consider him a uh, a Democrat, <laughs> well, he was a. He was a very fine Democrat for a while, but then he went overboard. 
So anyway, that's the story. But I, you know, it is funny. I I've had a good, a wonderful career. My my mother taught me that you're either at the front of the boat looking forward, and uh, or at the back of the boat looking backwards. And I've always tried to be at the front of the boat. And actually, uh, and I know you know this, but it proves the point. I I went on President Clinton. Wanted me to be our ambassador to Saudi Arabia. I was there for five years, and I wouldn't have traded that for another term in the Senate for all the tea in China. That was the. Of course, I've always been a foreign policy man, but that was that was a just a tremendous learning experience for me and difficult diplomatic experience. But uh, I'd like to think it sort of combined my talents, and I had a. Had a wonderful, wonderful time. Well, let me just ask you a final question. Um, uh, responding to your point about being on the ship and looking forward, you said that the betting money is on the two Republicans in the runoffs, and I agree with you. But but even if they both win, even if Purdue and Leffler win, given the what we saw with an energized black vote, given with state, what Stacey Abrams and others are doing, given the fact that Joe Biden is carried the state— are things changing in Georgia politically? Oh yes, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, these the two most Republican counties in the state, Cobb and Gwinnett, which are the Atlanta suburbs, and uh, they voted against me about you know sixty five thirty five uh, in both elections, my the one my first and the one I lost. Now they are. Solidly democratic. They got a black sheriff. They got uh, black mayors. They got, you know, just across the board, a majority democratic with a solid uh, African American base. And that, that's why, you know, when uh, Governor Kemp appointed Leffler, thinking that he was, you know, looking to suburban uh, women. The Atlanta uh, suburban women are not all white women by any means. It may be 50-50, or it may be more minority. But uh, she's not going to be able to count on the quote-unquote suburban women's vote as as an automatic device, in my opinion. And I do think that because of the enthusiasm that has been generated in Georgia in the, that enabled us to elect Biden as the next president, that that enthusiasm will continue. Now, it'll be helped by President Biden is coming down, he said, to campaign, and I'm sure Kamala Harris will come in campaign. Uh, and Trump said yesterday that he was going to campaign. <laughs> that'll be fun. So that'll be fun. That's the way to look at it. But, but but the Georgians are getting mad now. You know, we're in the third recount caused by Trump and the Republicans making us making us recount a third time. Well, actually, this third time is an automatic recount because he came with Trump came within a half of one percent. But uh, the taxpayers are are, are tired of this. Uh, Trump dragging, dragging this out and refusing to go away. 
And I think, I actually think that Trump coming down here in the midst of all these lawsuits that he and filed two more in Georgia yesterday, I, I, I think he's suppressing the Republican vote. But that's my opinion. And that's all you're asking for. White Fowler served 10 years in the House as a Democrat from Atlanta before winning a Senate race in 1986, where he served one term. He was later the ambassador to Saudi Arabia under President Clinton. Senator Fowler, it was just great having you on the program. Nice to be with you again, Ken. It's been a long time. Thank you very much for having me. I'm writers and critics who prophesize with your pen. And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling who that it's naming Was the loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing That's it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at the Political Junkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Please be safe. This is not a time to take chances. I'll see you soon. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times they are a-changing